This episode of The Ride is brought to you by Purina Animal Nutrition. The PhD equine nutritionists at Purina Animal Nutrition tackle problems using science, and their love of horses keeps them at it until they get it right. Even with the most established feeds, they keep innovating. Even when it takes years of research, they don't stop until it's right. They are dedicated to the scientific method, but it can't capture the feeling of seeing a horse reach their full potential. It takes science and love to help your horse live their best life. Put their research to the test at horseinnovation.com. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of The Ride. This is Nicole Cherico. I am here with my co-host Jillian Sinclair, and today we have Pete Cedia on the podcast, who is a reigning trainer. You guys might be familiar with him if you are on our Horse Rider On Demand platform. He just came out with a, a mini-series when we were in his area filming something for our Horse Week, which happened last year, and he was kind enough to do some training content with us while we were there. So we wanted to have him onto the podcast so everybody can kind of get to know him a little bit better. Thanks, Keith, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. So typically when we get started on these podcasts, we kind of go back to the beginning and kind of learn a little bit about you and and, and how you got involved with horses in, in the first place. Sure. So so actually, I, I grew up in the city, but my brother was the one that got interested in the horses. He started taking lessons at, at a farm run by Ollie Griffith called Autumn Rose Farms. Ollie is, is really involved with the NRHA and the judges committee for years. And, and, and he's also the coach of the Ohio State equestrian team, uh, as well as called many, many NRHA world champions. So, so really, I just got my start at a lesson barn. You know, we'd take a weekly lesson growing up. And then as we got older, my brother was, was going into middle school and I was in uh, early elementary school. My, my parents decided to give us the opportunity to move out to a family-sized farm. And that's where we got going with horses. We did the 4-H thing and kind of competed mostly local, that sort of stuff. We, we, we would go, you know, we're, at, we're north, north of Columbus, Ohio. So we went to the Corps Congress and all that. Really, when I got into high school, towards the end of the high school, I got pretty competitive in the NRHA. I hauled for my first world title when I was a junior in high school and finished uh, second that year. Joined the NRHYA as the treasurer for the NRHYA for, for two years there and, and just kind of enjoyed the youth competition. Right in growing up with Ollie Griffith, then I, I, it was a pretty natural transition to go to Ohio State and ride for the equestrian team there. So that, that was that was kind of what I did, kind of sold, sold my reigning horse, did the college life and showed with the team and, you know, couldn't afford to keep showing. And and I had decided at that time, you know, that that's when I kind of decided I wanted to go into this as a crew. So got back into showing at the tail end of college and the NRHA hauled for a world title and, and was fortunate enough to win the rookie pro and second in the limited open on, on a horse that year before I started going out working for guys. I worked for Jared LeClaire out in Texas. And after Jared, I came back to Ohio and worked for Sean Flaherty for, for a good three years or so with him and before starting out on our own, our own business. I always love talking to people from Ohio when it comes to the raining because, you know, for the people that don't realize this, the raining was born in Ohio. It was started in Ohio. That is where all the OGs live. That is, 
you know, where you saw all the big events happening at first, whether it was at the Quarter Horse Congress or I believe the fraternity took place in Ohio before it finally made its way to Oklahoma City. So it's always, I, I really love learning about the history of the sport. And I think it's, you have such a strong connection to the reining industry just being in Ohio. I mean, let alone working with, you know, Ollie, like you said, who has been a really big part of, of reining for a long time. And then, I mean, I think everybody knows Sean Flaherty's name. You know, if you don't, you're probably not riding any kind of Western horse. <laughs> I think we've all <laughs> right. seen Flaherty. So that's, that's really cool. I mean, do you, do you sense, like, do you kind of feel connected to that, like, start of it being around all of these people who were part of like kind of the the growing part of NRAJ before it became what it was today yeah I mean for sure I I, I really appreciate the history going on even like uh, you know some of our competitions are up at the University of Finley Western Farm the I'm on the board for the Central Ohio Reining Horse Association that's where we host our shows up there that's the Dale Wilkinson's old farm Clark Bradley who just passed away you know he he was there for years there's a number of really fundamental trainers that have come from that farm or been been somewhat tied to that place I enjoy hearing the history history of where, where our sport has come from and, and just kind of looking at where it's evolved to. And it's pretty cool. I know a lot of uh, our sports kind of migrated west and south, um, but Ohio is still a pretty darn strong niche of, of rainers up here. There's, there's a, a, lot of, a lot of good, strong raining shows up in this area. Like you said, Congress for sure. Seeing that, that with its rises and falls, I mean, it, it, it went downhill for a while and they they vamped it back up and the reigning portion of it and, and got got a strong show again. You know we've had had some other shows. The Buckeye Reigning Series has been a strong one for a while. So yeah, it, it's pretty pretty cool. I'm very fortunate and blessed to be in a state that there's you know and even from clientele, there's a ton of clientele to go around. None of us are are kind of scrambling through the same owners. You know we we all got enough like every every trainer I talk to right now. is full so that's a blessing and, and and i do a lot of lessons i can't tell you how many people want to come learn to ride a rainer i mean it, it, so that's, that's one of the coolest things i've got a totally sidebar question that doesn't go with anything that we're kind of talking about but do you find that you're getting more people because of yellowstone are you finding that people are watching like the raining stuff whether it's the last cowboy Yellowstone, the run per million, whatever. Are you finding that there's more like excitement around like I want to ride a rainer? So, so yeah, that's a good question. I, I I think I get some for sure. Not 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 as much as you might think, but it's more when you're discussing horse prices and, and the going rate in the industry right now. You hear the trickle down effect. And shoot, I had a customer just bought a horse and and she's at the bank just yesterday and. And she, you know how they, they question you when you take out that amount of money. And then she told me the bank teller went off. I, oh, I watch Yellowstone and started going off in that direction. So, so there's definitely some of that. <laughs> it's, yeah, I'm at a boarding barn. I, I, I have a little two-year-old rainer that I just started and I'm at a boarding barn and all the girls, they're like, wait, what are you going to do with her? I'm like, well, the raining. And they're like, what's that? And I'm like, do you watch Yellowstone? They're like, oh my God, yes, you do the stopping. And I'm like, yup. <laughs> At least just helping kind of normalize the things that we do. And, you know, the bank teller probably didn't think she was as crazy for taking out that much money to buy a horse. Like <laughs> normally we get the, the crazy looks, but so you obviously have such a strong background in the reining and just horses in general. When you, you know, you, you said that you, your family moved out to a farm in Ohio 
when you were um, a kid. So did you have any, any horses there that you kind of grew up with that helped you, you know, start your career, start your passion for the horse industry? Any, any special ones that come to mind? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we, so when I got started, I had a Western pleasure all around horse, you know, and, and so we kind of did that, that direction, which, which was definitely very helpful for what I, you know, part of my business with the, uh, the Yetta group where we, which is the high school version of, of like the IHSA or one of the organizations. There's a few, I believe, but, but so it helped me get a foundation in that direction. But so, so that horse for sure. I mean, I, I, I can't say how many hours I spent out on that horse and my mom would stand out there patiently uh, drilling through. She's not a horse person, but she, she, she sat through many a lessons and would, would, would coach and kind of just, you know, say, Hey, look, you know, you, you need to sit up straighter. That circle was not round, you know, all that stuff. And she'd do that for hours with me. And then uh, we, my brother got into the, and I enjoyed it. And, and uh, I always got the hand-me-down horses. So, so my, my horse, uh, by the time I got my first horse, uh, that was my, when I was like, I think I was going into my uh, junior year in high school was the first time I got my, my own first horse. He was a cool dude named Southwest Wiz. We bought him off of oh, the Bradleys and Bill Bradley, who was the former president of NRHA, passed away several years ago now. And, and that horse was trained up by Dwayne Latimer. And, and that was a cool horse, hauled him around for the youth title. Definitely gave me a boost of confidence, you know. And, and it's funny how uh, winning cultivates interest and uh, drive. No doubt about that. And, and, you know, it's always really nice when you, you know, you mentioned your first horse was trained by, you know, Dwayne Latimer and all. I mean, like, so it obviously came with a really great background and, and knew what it was doing. And I think that also really helps a rider. I, I know not everybody's fortunate enough to have a horse that knows what they're doing and can compete at that level that you were wanting to compete at. But I, tr- I truly believe that those horses that can teach you how to show, you know, it's so valuable in the long run, instead of having to like kind of both learn at the same time, you know, you have that horse that you can rely on and, and to take care of you when you get into a bad situation. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's, you know, I do a ton of non-pro coaching that not, so, so I got my high school kids and then I have my, my non-pros that I take to the NRHA. And, and I'll tell you, you know, they say practice makes perfect. And, and I'd say that's a, a false statement. It's perfect practice makes perfect. And, and it also goes the same way with confidence as well as experience. Not all experience is good experience. You know, I have some riders that have some terribly bad habits or fears or anxieties or, you know, areas that they have to overcome. And it makes trusting a, a horse very difficult when you're used to an animal who's going to pull a fast one on you, um, one that uh, you say, whoa, and he keeps on going, or, or one that uh, just runs off on his own, you know. So, so you know, all those horses, you know, of different qualities are, are difficult, but, but I'll tell you that you can learn some good from them, but as long as you can compartmentalize the emotional and the, the confidence level and, and all that, and not bring your baggage from an old horse to a new horse. And that, that's difficult. That's difficult and to take all, all emotion out and be 100% fair for the day, for the animal that you're sitting. I think that's a really good point, which you said, and that's kind of something I've never thought about, but you really do, the experiences you get from the bad experiences are almost more beneficial than the good ones. I mean, I've certainly learned so much from 
the horses that, you know, just tote you around and do their job and, and all of that. But then the, when I think back on things that I've learned, it's pretty much always from a, a bad experience, not necessarily like bad, bad, but, you know, just something that makes you realize that what I was doing wasn't working and things like that. But so you, you showed, I should say in college, which I also did, I down in Florida, and then you coach a, a Yetta team. So what do you think about the catch riding? You know, sometimes like, how do you coach your kids through a bad draw or, you know, when they don't always have the best horse and they might have one of those bad experiences? Yeah, for sure. So, so that, that's the name of the game. I mean, uh, as much as we like to say the luck of the draw doesn't matter, it, it does matter. Now, now, now getting onto the judging of a catch ride scenario is a whole different topic because I don't think every judge that judges it does a, or understands the, the, uh, fact that you're supposed to pick the best rider and look through the horse. And, and all that sort of thing. So sometimes it's really difficult for my for me to tell my riders they didn't get paid for for the job they did. Or or on the other side, hey, you got you got lucky. You sat on the best horse because you didn't outride this other kid outrode you or whatever. But but the biggest thing I talk about, and I'm actually kind of cool. I'm doing a uh, clinic up here at our next Yetta show. Like I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, and uh, we're going to pull out all the horses that day that were bad or or tough. And, and I want to try to ride them through the patterns and be mic'd up. So I can say, right now I feel this, I'm reading this. But but the, the biggest thing about catch riding, in my opinion, is is being first reading your animal, uh, reading your animal's emotion, keeping your animal balanced during frame, which I believe goes with any horse competition whatsoever. But but if you can recognize the the small tendencies of that animal prior to them blowing up when when do i need to just try to get safe and get through the maneuver and then when can i show this sucker and try to go out there and win the class a hard one for the kids like i, I see it all the time is they start in stage one where they i'm going to go to win the class and they go out there and they put their all and it blows up on them somewhere and then then they go from there and they learn how to go back and be correct they, they tone it down they just get it correct and, and, and then they're coming in third and fourth place all the time. And then, you know, then they, they struggle with the next step is how to go out there and lay down a pattern that's going to win it. And so knowing your animal or knowing the, the signs, when can I try to bless this maneuver? When do I need to just zero it? Hey, maybe a minus half is the best this animal's capable of, but take my minus half and don't try to win it or, or blow it up to a minus one or whatever. I think another really interesting part about this organization is your riders don't have to own horses in order to participate in it, which I think is really huge because not everybody can afford a horse, you know, especially kids who are, are just wanting to get started and they want to learn and they want to get that education. What's that been like working with people who don't own their own horses and, and you're getting all levels of riders. I mean, you're getting the, the beginner beginners to the people that are competing in the more advanced classes. You know, what's that been like coaching kids who are on a different horse every time they're riding? Yeah, that, that part there is very interesting. And, and, and you can take, take a lot for granted, even simple horsemanship things that you would think, you know, you should be able to, to kind of read safety tips, you know, just just the handling of the animal on the ground. So uh, sometimes when you're when, when you're brought up in just a 
lesson barn where those animals are as close to dead broke as you can possibly get. You don't realize the potential of the danger of a thousand pound animal that you're working with. And, and so I see that sometimes from the, from the ground, the handling, the, 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 the setup of the animal. So, so I, I sometimes uh, find myself having to, to reevaluate riders and be like, oh, wait, that, that rider needs to understand this simple thing before they can take on some more of the, the difficult concepts. Like I think it's easier to read them, or, or not easier, but I think, I think a rider should first learn how to read them on the ground before you can truly get a good read for them from up top. It, it, it is a great avenue for a lot of riders. I do have kids. Uh, that live in the city. I have kids that, you know, lower income. I have riders, you know, who who have always wanted to do horses. COVID was kind of a, a, a blessing in disguise for the horse industry from that avenue. I, I have several kids that, you know, hey, I've, I've always wanted to ride a horse, but I was in lacrosse or, you know, whatever, basketball, whatever. And, and they finally got time to come ride a horse, you know, so that, that was, that was kind of cool. I got a good influx there. And, and it's good for those kids to interact with the kids that are showing in the circuits. You know, our upper level kids, most of them are showing NRHA, AQHA. They're, they're out there competing big time. And it's a good opportunity for them to learn from each other and kind of pick up and help each other. Even just learning the horse etiquette we were talking about earlier you know, about why, why you need to hold on to the leader rope, you know, and, and not uh, be on your phone or whatever when, when the horse isn't acting good. So stuff like that is very, very beneficial. Yeah. I can only imagine I, that what you were just saying, I, like I said, I'm at a boarding barn and, and the, the girls that own it, they come from the horse show world. And, and one of them, I, I know the people that she trained with and I have a lot of respect for what she's done. And, but they do a lot of lessons now and, and one of the kids, literally, they were going to pick the feet, and she sat down cross-legged to pick the feet. While she, and I was just like, oh, my God. And she's like, no, 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 we can't. We can't do that because what if the horse puts its foot down? And, yeah, you kind of you forget that not everybody knows the basics of, like, why you have to hold a lead rope or why you don't sit cross-legged on the ground while you're picking a horse's back foot, you know, and, or, you know, any foot for that matter. But it is, it's really, it's a really interesting concept. And I sure, I'm sure you get people of all walks of life. I, I do. And, and I don't know about all the coaches, but I know, I know a lot of the coaches kind of just have, more of a straight up lesson business and, and, and they got more broke older animals but but that that's just part of my my business you know I do a ton of stuff with the NRHA so I got I got two-year-olds in there I got colts I got fillies I got you know I, I got all levels of horses so I, I try to keep them all on one end of the barn and all on the other end of the barn kind of kind of you know you know li- little things like I, I got do not pet signs on my two-year-old studs, not, not because uh, they're mean, but, but we all know what, what dangers could, could come. And, and some of these uh, younger kids and most of my riders are middle school and older. I'm not really set up for too much on the elementary and younger side, but if you don't know any better, you know, you go, go down there and you pet, pet one of those colts and that's how you get hurt. You know, so liability <laughs> is, a, is a big thing. And that's, Part of our lesson horses and show horses with with those organizations, we we can't afford lawsuits. So every animal we bring, we hope is a dead, broke, quiet horse. But everybody's got a bad day, and and or or, or even just an accident. You know, something can scare them. You know, it, it can be anything. 
I bet that your two-year-olds get really broke really fast. I know mine is because I have to steer in between people on a two-year-old while they're doing these lessons and they don't even know how to trot and they're turning into a circle because they don't know how to turn or steer. And I, you know, mine's learning really fast how to steer. Sure. I, although I will say I, uh, I ride my horses in the morning and then teach in the evening. So, so I do put a little separation in there. <laughs> That's funny. My, my sister actually, she trains all around horses down here in Florida, but she coaches a Yetta team also and, and an IHSA team. And she does very similar things where she gets all of her, training horses done in the morning and then the afternoons and evenings are for the, for the more broke ones. But a lot of times, you know, with, when she has ones that are good green horses, she'll throw a kid that's ready for that kind of a horse on one just so that they get that experience. Cause you know, at a, at a get a show, you never know what you're going to get. You know, we, they try to get the best horses they can, but you know, it's hard to get people to just bring their nice horse and let these kids that they've never met before ride them. So when you go to shows, do you often, bring your horses or, you know, do you have a nice group that you bring with you or, or are they mostly other schools or teams that you're using? Yeah. Good question. For, for the, 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 to, to the first point, I you know with, with letting the kids ride some of these unbroke horses, any horse that I don't own, I, I don't let any of these kids ride just simply from a, a business standpoint. And I don't, I know my owners wouldn't be overly thrilled if I were throwing them on there. So so, so I'll mention that in case any of my owners are listening. But no, when we go to the show, so I take, we're, we're required with the Yetta group to bring a, a certain amount of horses based on a certain amount of riders that we bring. So I, I want to say off the top of my head, every six riders is required to bring one horse. So so typically I'll bring uh, three, four, maybe five horses to a horse show. And the ones I got, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I got some good retired rainers. Uh, one horse uh, is is more of a pleasure type animal, but but the group I get to bring are pretty pretty good. I got you know they got their their flaws of course that's why they're lesson horses, but but they're all very safe you know and, and and good animals to be around and they handle all that stuff real good. I would imagine that coming from the reining industry, you're around a lot of really great horses that probably need new careers once their their reining career ends or you know, whatever they're transitioning into the next aspect of their, of their life. And it's coaching, teaching kids how to ride. And I'd imagine you come across some pretty nice, nice, quiet, safe, great horses for kids to learn on being in the reining industry and around all these people and knowing all these horse trainers. And so. Yeah, for sure. I've, I've got the opportunity to get several of them. Although I'll tell you with today's horse market going the way it's going, what used to be a three, four, five thousand dollar less, you know, it's hard to price those under ten thousand anymore. It, I mean, quiet and and safe is selling quite high, and pretty soon it's uh, either you got to raise prices or it's not going to work. <laughs> Isn't it insane right now? I went to the fraternity because I was trying to get my my horse back to Colorado. She was in Oklahoma, and the sale prices, I mean, 50 to 150,000 was what those yearlings were going for. I wouldn't have been able to afford my yearling had they put her in the sale. I, I think we bought when, you know, she wasn't fed up and, and worked and, you know, she was just living in a pasture. That was the only way that I would have been able to afford her. I, it's the sale prices were insane. I mean, I'm, it's really exciting for the horse market. I'm glad to see it thriving. And, you know, while we're in the middle of a pandemic and, and, you know, we're, I'm super thankful that we're doing as well as we are, but oh my gosh, those prices are 
it's like a whole different industry right now. It's it's crazy how it's changed just in the past couple of years. I mean, you were shopping for horses two years ago, and now they're so much more expensive for the same horse two years later. It's it's a good thing, I guess, in the long run, but it's it's definitely a interesting time in the horse industry. <laughs> good to sell. It's a little rough to buy. For sure. So let's kind of bounce over to your the the reigning portion of your business because, like you said, you are an NRHA professional and you are competing at all the top shows in the country on top of your very busy coaching schedule. You've worked for quite a few legendary trainers, one of them being Sean Florida. You know, how long were you there? What was it like training under him? I mean, he's definitely going down in the history books as one of the best. You know. Yeah, that 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 was a good time. Worked there for. Well over three years, somewhere in that range, and got to see a lot of really, really phenomenal animals. Just a couple of studs that I remember in my time there. Like when I first started, there was Shine Chick Shine, uh, Whiskey and Diamonds, East the Door, Blue Collar Tag was there, uh, Tinseltown Fly Guy. I'm missing a lot of great. Oh, Spook's Got a Whiz. I mean, I'm missing some some other great ones. I remember uh, Gun of Trash that came in for a little bit, getting ready for an FBI event. All oh, the first day I worked there, old KR Little Conquistador was in, and, and that was my job. I got to ride him around. That was pretty darn cool because he was getting him ready for an FBI. There there were some great animals, great animals. So 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 that that was was just unbelievable to be around those animals every single day kind of see see how they they you know the younger ones developed up to, into what they were and and the go from there the the I, the training you know I, I i i soaked up as much as i could but but as as a younger person i i think i i wish i could go back knowing what i know now and re relearn everything i learned because i know how much more I would been been grasping there. So so I, I every opportunity I get I try to go over and ride with him. It's just difficult to get, you know, with a busy schedule. It's hard to get get time to get off the farm and go ride. But he's been a great mentor and help to me. Um Certainly, I've called him up with a lot of business or life questions that because I know he's been there, he's done that, and and if he personally hasn't done it or seen it, he's he knows about ten or fifteen other guys that he's watched through the years have the same dilemma, be that a, a question about, you know, we, we built our facility. And, and so I called him with a lot of barn questions, arena questions, you know, that's or, or setting up a business, simple little, little exchanges with different owners that kind of, kind of weren't, weren't heated, but you know, they, they, how do you, how do you handle this dilemma right here? Do you make a big deal of this or you kind of, kind of take the short end of the straw on, on this problem? So he, he, him and his family have all been, uh, really, really good the people to be around and helpful. And, and, and I can't thank them enough for everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, was, it was a good, good time over there. And to, I mean, talk about the horsepower. I'm sure being that, you know, young and you don't even realize like you're just walking into a whole barn full of, level four champion horses i mean whether they were already you know winning everything or if they were just coming twos that were going to be you know fraternity prospects i mean couldn't imagine having all that horsepower right there just like waiting for you did you go out on your own after florida or did you go elsewhere yeah so i got married in my i guess my second year there so so my my wife that was working on north end of columbus and i was working in springfield so that's about we we got an apartment 40 minutes in the middle so i worked a a, a year driving back and forth 
like that. And it was just kind of a lifetime, you know, like, 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 you know, it's time and, and, and we got to, got to kind of set things out and get things started. I, I don't know if you ever truly feel, you know, enough or you're truly prepared to start your own business. But as far as like the time of life, stage of life, it, it was kind of time to, to, to get things started. And fortunately, I was able to find a uh, farm up near where my parents are from. And, and where I grew up. So I was able to, to, to lease a barn, really nice facility up there. And, and we, we spent five years in that facility before we were able to build our own. Now, I'm sure everybody can probably relate to going out on their own. And it's, it's a whole new world, especially coming from, I mean, you were literally at one of the top barns in the, in the country and, and around some of the most expensive horses in the country and the best horses. And then you're going out on your own. How did you adjust to, you know, starting your own business and having to go out and find clientele and horses and, and build up your program to get that reputation of, you know, send your horses here, send your non-pros here, you know, all of that. But I mean, literally every young trainer goes through. Yeah, that, 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 that's a great question. Couple, couple words of advice I give to the, to those thinking of starting your own business. First off, don't burn bridges. Every single one of my former bosses, Ollie, Jared, and Sean, I, I made sure I left on a high note. All three of them were, were invited to my wedding. Only two could come, but, but, you know, like, like I had them at my wedding. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm close with all of them. Heck, I had Ollie out to the farm just this last summer to do a clinic seminar with my team, you know, and, and like I said, I'm with Sean fairly frequently. I always try to reach out to Jerry whenever I head out towards Texas, which I don't get out that way enough, but, but, you know, I always make sure to reach out to him. So don't burn bridges. Along that note, Don, you know, he's, he's got 52 stalls in his barn or something like when that's what he had when I was there. It's kind of changed since then, but he, he would reference some of his excess customers, you know, like, like, Hey, this horse isn't fitting me. It's not a level four horse. Why don't you go down to, to, Keep Cedia down the road. He's not too far. He used to work for me. I can vouch for him. I can't tell you how many customers have come from from Sean, and, and a lot of those have turned into being great horses in my career or, or great owners in my career. Maybe the the one horse that didn't make Sean a level four horse. Maybe that owner had another horse, and and that turned into a big horse for me or something. So so a lot of networking there. I, I mean, along with the not burning bridges, is make sure you're ethical. You, you know, like like. You know, I, for instance, price sheets. You know, I, 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 I fill out a price sheet because I know if I'm going to go do business somewhere, I'd like to know how much I'm going to get a bill for and not be surprised and, and stuff like that. I, I think it, some of it's common sense for sure. You know, you know, and, and you know, but but doing the right thing goes a long ways. Repeat customers, references are, are huge, and you get a negative, uh, a negative influence or negative whatever. It goes pretty quick. People are going to hear about you and not in a good way. And, and I'd rather be, even if I'm selling a horse and, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you kind of the warts and all, you know what I mean? And, and um, people appreciate, they might not buy my horse when I tell them the, the negative things, but I guarantee you, nobody's ever said that Keith Cedia lied to him selling a horse. So that, that's something I value quite a bit. You know, some other things with going out on your own, I think diversification is huge. You know, talking about our great showmen, we all know the top 20, 30, 40 trainers in our industry, and, and they probably win enough in the show pen that, the, that it, it, it pays, you know, their, their, their mortgage and all that. 
but you know, there's, you know, I don't know how many hundreds of NRHA trainers or young trainers and other in, in disciplines that aren't known. So, so that, that tells you a showing probably not winning you enough money. So that's why I started the lessons. That's why I started a team. My, my, my first team was actually an IEA team just because I was the only organization I knew. And, and I did that because it, it worked through the winter so I could teach lessons because some of the horses go home during the winter. So it was a way of getting competition going in, in the evening. So, 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 you know, doing the, the, the Yetta, the, the showing, the, the, you know, we, we don't do a ton of borders, but, you know, we, we have done that at, at times. And when you first start, you take any horse that calls your phone number. So, so like there's Arabs, there's, you know, some of these field horses, 30 day things that would try to kill you. But, but fortunately I've gotten to a point where I can uh, reference them elsewhere but and just focus on the horses that I that I, you know really truly love with the Rainers. That's that brings up such a good point in like something that I'm constantly advocating for, whether it's on the podcast or writing or just because I am I am the non pro. I am the the person that, you know, I, I can't afford a three hundred thousand dollar yearling and you know, putting them in training with the top of the top but it kind of goes off of what you were just saying with the diversity i think we forget that the non-pros are the people who are paying these bills for everybody and it it just really makes me happy to hear you saying stuff like that because you are making sure that non-pros are learning and they're they're getting an education and and you're able to help them with their horses whether that's 30 days or they're with you for three or four years before they buy another horse or if they're part of your yada yada thing team and you know i i think we forget as a as a society like as an industry not even just the reining not the cow horse whatever i think as an industry that you know we need to remember all of the people who are supporting this industry and not just the the top horses with the top for sure and that that's an ethic that i think was built into me a long time ago when i worked for ollie and rode with ollie and and, you know he he would always say that you know his his lesson kids were just as important or or more than the the person that has a horse in training dude i can think of multiple kids i've had come through my barn and they take a weekly lesson and, and that's all they ever did, just take a lesson. Some of them showed, some of like on my Yetta team, I had one girl that she never showed a single time, but she rode with me for at least, I, I know she was in middle school, so she at least rode with me for five years every single week, you, you know, and, and you know, if you do the math on how much that adds up, that's, that's quite a bit. But yeah, I mean, you got to take care of, take care of the people and you never know what what, you know, where that'll go. There's, there's so many, for instances of, of, you know, Hey, you know, this, this girl's been taking a lesson with me. And then they say, Hey, I got a good friend that rides Rainers. And then they come over and then all of a sudden, boom, there's two or three horses in my barn that, that otherwise I would have had no contact with. The other one that, that I thought was kind of funny while you're saying that is a lot of times the trainers, when we get together, we get going in a, a little bit of uh trainer jargon and, and, and all that and kind of, kind of cowboying around a little bit. And, and got to remember when you're at a horse show, that's literally your office. I mean, you, you got, you got to make sure that you're putting on a good image, you know, for, for my, 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 my barn particularly, uh, you know, we, we want to make sure we're presenting a, a family friendly barn, you know, so, you know, we, we, at the shows, you know, we, we watch our language where, you know, we don't have, alcoholic beverages at the stalls, you know, we, we, we try to, to make sure it's uh, a good environment. And, 
and uh, you know sometimes I hear hear trainers saying things that you know oh you know you know that that ride you know I got I'm looking for a horse for a rider and uh, you know I need something that a monkey could ride or something like that and I hear that phrase all the time and I always kind of think well I hope your 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 owner's not standing there <laughs> listening to that because they 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 probably don't appreciate being called a monkey. I think that's something that's so important in the horse industry is just, you know, reputation is everything. And it's amazing how quickly you can make or break your reputation. But, you know, I also think that something it seems like you're doing a phenomenal job at is just exposing those, those kids that, you know, maybe just started with a weekly lesson to another part of the horse industry than just lessening. Cause you know, we get, I get a lot of kids that I talk to and they want to ride, but they have no idea that this whole other part of the horse world exists where you can go and show and, and own your own horse and things like that. So do you have a lot of kids that start lessening with you and then eventually work up to showing and either owning or leasing or anything like that? Or do they mostly just stick with, with lessening and, and yet a, for sure, you get you get a little bit of it all, but I've had I'd say probably out of every you know ten kids that come, you know you get one out of ten that's going to go on and get a horse, you know, or, or or start showing maybe just leasing. You know, I lease out my lesson horses in the summer, take them to the shows. They they know they're not going to be the 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 most competitive rider in the class, but just to get them to an actual NRHA show, and I can't tell you how many times that's developed from wow, I'm, I'm loving this, and they get hooked, and then they want to go buy a, a, a real rainer, you know, one that they can go be competitive on. Heck, I got one boy, he he, he rode with me for years, then he went, started summer apprenticing with me, then he, he took a full-time job with me, and, and he's still going at it. He's uh, now working for, for an NRHA professional, you know, the, the, trying, trying to, to, you know, see if this is what he wants to do for a career, and he's He's more than got the tools to do it, you know, but, but it is very cool because it, it, it all started with riding, riding these lesson horses around. And I mean, I remember at the time we, we were, we were just trying to teach a horse how to canter, let alone learn what a lead is. And now he's, he, he's good enough to make it, make himself a business, you know? I think that's huge. You're, you're helping kind of grow the next generation of, of riders and I think we I think we can all agree that you know without that next generation our our industry is going to you know dwindle down and you know finding a way to to get kids involved because not everybody can afford a hundred thousand dollar show horse that you can go take to the derby or whatever and and so I think that's huge that you're helping you know they're getting the solid education i mean you've you've come from the best you're you're teaching what you've learned throughout all of your years of working with these incredibly talented trainers and and now you're able to take that education and and apply it in your own way and then teach this next generation of kids like how to ride even if you know they they might be riding a lesson horse or they might be leasing a lesson horse but the education that they're getting is just insane for sure. And I really enjoy that part. You know, so, so the way kind of I work is like, like I, I like to see problems and try to find solutions. Uh, I, I get very bored doing the same thing over and over again, which is why the, the horses are great for me. You know, I, I love to, to take a horse, identify my problem and then try to try to come up with or, or, or find my best solution, my best best path to get that animal to do something. And, and you would think it would necessarily be easier taking that to humans, but sometimes I, I find that a little harder, you know, to, to, to put your, your thoughts into a, a human's 
head to, to have them to execute the same thoughts. But, but I like to look at lessons through, 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 through that problem solving lens. And, and I, so I, I'm, I'm probably not, not the best at sitting there and really getting after him. Like, Hey, your shoulders aren't square enough. Hey, your elbows, you know, sit up taller, you know, you know, like I like form and all that. Of course, that's in, incredibly important for what we do. But but my my favorite part is diagnosing. Hey, you you know, shoot! If you get your horse with his nose a little bit tipped to the left, you'll help that shoulder stand up to the right. So maybe you can catch that lead on that horse that wants to drop in and pull. You know, I, I just really enjoy the kind of communicating the that part of the ride and and, and a little bit like to take it into you know the training side, but but more just understanding the mechanics of a horse and. And I always tell the kids, you know, it's really not that hard to ride the perfect horse. The only problem is I don't know too many perfect horses, and particularly in the uh, Yetta or the IHSA or whatever, there, there, I'm gonna say there's no perfect horse, and, and you know, so at that point, then it, it becomes a lot more difficult. So if we can learn how to make my flawed animal or tough horse a little bit more correct or a little bit closer to being perfect. Then sitting up and lifting your chin up and putting your shoulders back <laughs> becomes a lot easier when you can feel comfortable and, and, and in control. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And like you said, you know, the the body position, all of that, even though in the in the raining, which I, I came from the all around world, so I'm kinda loving this whole not having to keep my elbows in and sit perfectly still and you know, like all that. Like <laughs> I like just being able to, to ride, but I'm so thankful for that background because it did teach me how to be a quiet rider and a soft rider. But you're right, like once you're once you understand the mechanics of the horse and, and you can kind of feel what you're you're aiming for, it's a lot easier to to just sit there and relax and, and get your body back where it needs to for sure. Especially for catch riding. I mean, I'm I've never been a great catch rider and I showed IHSA and it made me realize I'm not a great catch rider and it also taught me so much just about the feel because you know, every horse has a different feel and you have to you have to know what to look for when you get on that horse and know what to figure out about them to make them go. But this is totally off topic from what we're talking about. But before we end, I have to ask. So um, last year at the Quarter Horse Congress, you showed in the freestyle reigning and you were in a, I'm assuming, Ohio football uniform, helmet, pads, everything. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I can't imagine doing a reigning pattern with the football helmet on. <laughs> well, well, that is the Ohio State University. That, that, that we're yeah. talking the Buckeyes. Jill, you can't mix the two. Ohio people the love two. their football. You got to okay, say, well, the I'm Ohio. from Florida, and I <laughs> the right. Ohio football uniform on. <laughs> well, yeah, so actually, so this Congress was actually a whirlwind for me. This, this was, uh, there's more story to that than you realize. So so my week started out really good. I I, I won the novice horse two on, on that same horse, Cash in the Trash, phenomenal horse. And, 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 and as, you know, my other classes were all going really well. My owners, I think every single horse and rider I took, I think I had what I have, 10 horses and nine riders. I think every single person placed in the top 15. So it was a phenomenal Congress going. I got my last horse through the, through the, the, my last non-pro through the gate. And I was also dealing with an infection on my leg. I'd been kicked a while back. And so, so I had an infection on my leg. I'd already been to the doctor, was on antibiotics, but my leg was turning color. So I needed to get my last rider through the gate. And I was like, I'm going to run down to the hospital real quick, get some IVs. And I'll be back for my, my show in the, in the open the next day. And this is Monday night. 
And I run in there. I was expecting to get out. Well, sure enough, they hold me and they won't release me because they needed me to run on IVs for the rest of the week. I got out Thursday night. I had to get my horse back into Congress Friday and then get him shown on Saturday. So it was a whirlwind and things getting everything put together. It took a real team to get that put together. A uh, big shout out to Laura Scholler, who, who's Robin Schuler's wife. And, and Laura, Laura helped me with my choreography and everything. <clears throat> and so she, she was a huge help for getting everything organized those last few minutes. And, but the, the show was a blast. I mean, I, I did not feel as prepared as I typically would, as you can imagine. But, but I will say showing in a helmet definitely constricts your, your viewing. I was planning on throwing the football, like tossing it up and down a few times during but, but I wasn't confident with my, my, where, where I was in my, my sight, so I just held on to it. But there was actually one point, there's a, 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 a guy running around dressed up like Brutus, the Buckeye, and he's running around cheering on the crowd and all that. And I didn't know it. I, I, I near ran him over. I came really close to him. But I didn't know it until I watched the video. He, he was in the, the, the helmet blocked my peripheral and I didn't see how close I got to him. <laughs> so that, that was kind of, kind of funny. No, no, it looked like I meant to get that close, but, but that, that was an accident. Was that your first time competing in the freestyle or do you typically do it? No, so I, that's actually my fourth one. I, 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 last year or pre, pre-COVID, uh, the last Congress we had, uh, I did one that was really special to me. It was actually with my uh, daughter who was three at the time, we, we had a, a guy at my church, he changed the words from Trace Atkins' song, and she thinks we're fishing, to, and she thinks we're just riding, and, and, and uh, it was really, really fun one. So that one's by far the most special ride I've ever had, get, getting to compete with my daughter there. And, and uh, we, we finished second that year. The year before, we did a Michael Jackson routine. And the, the year before was my first time doing it. And it, it wasn't all that hot. But, but we did a Radioactive by Imagine Dragons. But it wasn't so hot. <laughs> Let's, before we end this call, I, the freestyle is fascinating to me. I actually, I was just at the Denver Stock Show and watched the, the Invitational Freestyle that Sherry Schwarzenberger won. And it's it's so much, oh my gosh, so much fun. I love the freestyle. But the freestyle is very different from regular reigning stuff. And can you kind of talk about your process? Because not only is it costume, music, I mean, there's certain, you know, you get marked for creativity. You have so many maneuvers that you have to do and you have to do it in a certain time frame. I mean, there's a lot of planning that goes into a freestyle routine. It's not just grab a costume and, and pick some music and go do some spins and circles. For sure. And, and I'm not going to claim to be an expert at it. I, I mean, uh, it, it, it's, I'm, I'm still learning the, the art there. And, and that's uh, one reason I've collaborated with Laura Scholler. She's, she's very good. And she's put together a number of riders and, as well as won the freestyle at Congress herself once or twice. So, so I, I get some help in it. But my, 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 my philosophy on it is, is, you know, I don't have a lot of the trick rides. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a lot of guys doing horses laying down, horses going without a rider, you, you, you know, the, you know, a lot of, a lot of creative things that's outside of my expertise. So I've kind of gone with the philosophy. If I'm going to beat those guys, I need to beat them with pure horsepower. So that's, that's, uh, that's kind of where I've, I've either, I've, I've found horses or had horses in my barn that are, are high level open horses, 
so I can compete against some of these these horses that are, are you know, doing bridalist things and that sort of thing. And, and uh, the crowd goes wild for all those tricks. So if I'm going to get the crowd to go wild, I got to do something huge as far as a rainer goes. There's a lot of, you know, getting the, the music to flow with the theme. The theme. I think, you, you know, the, the I've never gone over the top on costume, though, though I, I, I'm not opposed to it. I just haven't. Haven't haven't had the the routine that needed to, I guess. But but it, it's 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 by far tricky, you know, because the other part is the the warm up is completely different. At, at the Quarter Horse Congress, I can speak to a little more, but it's not in the same arena we've competed at all week in the raining. They make you go home for a couple of days before you can come back in. The warm up before we're warming up with all rainers. Now all of a sudden there's a bunch of pleasure horses and all around and you, you know it, it, the the to a rainer it feels chaotic in that warm up environment. Overhang. Oh no kidding, no kidding. And <laughs> and, and uh, the the dirt the night before there was a PBR in it, so so the the dirt's not quite what what you would expect, and it changes up from we get one rehearsal in the morning, we get five minutes to go and rehearse our routine, and then get out of the arena. And it, it's very difficult, very, very, very hard setup for, for those horses. And, you know, I, I've been at a lot of big shows and, and I'll tell you the energy in that arena with the crowd is, is something different. I've, I've seen horses not handle that. Like, like you go in and especially because the, the people aren't all rainers. So, so they'll cheer at times that maybe you aren't expecting it. Like, like you're, you're maybe in the middle of a rundown. You haven't stopped yet. You're expecting to cheer after the stop and they're cheering before you get there. And, and you're and that one horse I took in my first year. Uh, he, I just loped in and they start cheering. He's like, Whoa, what was that? And he, he jumped on me and then, then he settled back in and we were okay. But, but the other thing that's really interesting on, on the timing of, of it is at least, the way I try to run the freestyle is kind of upbeat, keeping time with that. Whereas in your, your think of all your great raining runs, we stop, we hesitate, we, we, we prepare that first step in the spin. We take our time, let our horse, you know, get his body in the right position for whatever, our low pops or whatever. And, and the freestyle, you're, you're actually on a timer, basically. You're, I mean, you've got four minutes, but if you're going to be at a certain location in your song, you better know your rhythm. So you're not only remembering a pattern that's not like all the other patterns, and, and you've you got to be keeping track of where the music is and then trying to keep your animal relaxed as your brain's moving a little quicker than normal. Gosh, I can imagine that that energy of the arena and, and just the adrenaline and the excitement and all of it. I, it's funny, though, that you say that because I didn't even think about the fact that people are probably cheering in really random parts of a pattern, especially for people who are very familiar with the raining and, and go to regular raining events quite often. And it, I, we, when I was at the stock show for the freestyle, I brought a bunch of my English friends who, you know, they do the jumping stuff and they're not used to any kind of cheering. They're used to like, you know, the golf clap and the, you know, maybe a whistle and they are just like screaming their heads off at the most random parts of the pattern because they are just like, they're loving it. They're like, this is so cool. There's spotlights, there's costumes, there's horses at Liberty doing the, the tricks, like you were saying. I mean, there's there's a little bit of everything. So yeah, I, I didn't think about that, but that could easily throw someone off or, or a horse, throw them off their, their game or, or their focus because they're not used to, to noise at certain parts. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and like I'll take my own ride, like like same animal that that was was you know strong enough in the the NRHA class to to mark a two twenty and win in the in the ancillary class. He 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 wasn't. The, the stops weren't the same quality. The the spins weren't the same quality. You, you know, like like there, there there's little differences. Your your horse is going to kind of sense, and, and it is going to throw things off. And then as a rider, you got to kind of have a short memory and keep going. You can't you can't dwell on the past there because if you do, you're you're going to be off your next rhythm. <laughs> so. So it, it throws a little bit more deviation into the, the ride than, than normal. But I, I, I enjoy that. I, I wouldn't say like freestyle is one of those things I just focus on and, and really work. Ter- like, like it's not my goal every year. I, I just really enjoy and have a lot of fun with it. And if you can make money doing it, why not? But but I, I love doing it because it is a rush. And I'll tell you that that crowd energy is, is a lot of fun. It's going to be really nice after going and doing the same training routines over and over and over again to, to change it up and just have fun and, and do whatever it is you want to do. Um, before we go, kind of going back to regular reigning stuff, is there a memory that really just sticks out to you? Like the, it's just one of the, the biggest parts of your, your career and just a memory that sticks with you throughout the years? Yeah, and going back real quick, you said something that made me think about with with the the difference of patterns. I do look at those freestyle runs kind of like schooling. You, you know, like I I don't want to do anything that's going to negatively make my animal worse in the future. And I did that one time where where I had a horse and and I did you know too many lead changes in the middle on it, just keeping the crowd going. And just didn't like the the residual effects on my animals. That really got my brain thinking. How can I use this this ride to make my animal a better horse? You know, you know, maybe make them have a pause in a place that they don't know normally pause. Maybe instead of a roll back and lope out, maybe I do like a spin and a half and lope out, or or, or send them in a different direction. So so I do think if you're using your freestyle creativity, you can have fun and make it productive for that animal for the future, which, which I think is also something worth noting. But then, then going to your question about, you know, special memories, for sure there's those freestyle runs. Those, those are pretty special, but, but, uh, you know, you know, I got to put the, this year's Congress win up there. That was huge, but, but I'll never forget my, one of my early years of well working for Sean. I can't remember if it was my first or second year working there. I was fortunate enough to get one back in the fraternity finals at Congress. That was huge. And, and you know, I've never been able to do do something like that. And the same horse earlier in that year I'd won a thirty down at the Clayton Woosley down in the, the Kentucky Horse Park. And then, then the other one I'll I'll never forget and it's kinda ended in a tragedy, I suppose, but my 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 dad uh, bought me a uh, a yearling, or I guess it was a two year old, and, and I trained him up. And that was my, that was right when I started my business, so it was kind of he was investing in me, and 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 we did really well. We won a lot that year, but we made the fraternity finals, the level one finals, and and we run out there, and I'm my heart's pumping so big. I run out there, and there's five judges chairs instead of the normal three, and and I looked at the wrong judges chair, and I said, well, four foot early. And you stop before the, pen, the the market at the two point penalty and and I and two point per judge and at the end of the day I ended up oh I like I think they brought fifteen back and I was like fourteenth or thirteenth place I was I was low but if you add back in those penalty points I think I was second and and so so I I, I like to tell my kids you know you know I, I the good runs are I I remember that run that was 
oh shoot, that was probably six. Oh shoot, it might have been eight years ago. I remember that run more vividly today than I do my my runs where I've won. And I tell the kids that 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 that, that was the most expensive four foot that that I've ever seen. That's probably about a thousand dollars a foot. <laughs> Hey, but I bet you never made that mistake ever again. You, you know what? You are correct. I have not stopped a four marker. In fact, I usually am probably going too far. <laughs> it's one of those okay. bad experiences we talked about in the beginning. <laughs> You'll remember right. that forever. <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, I, and, and yeah, you got to learn from your mistakes. But but I mean, that's part of the fun about this is, is you do live for another day. You know, it's. Like I, you can't approach every run like it's your last run and, and your life depends on it. I mean, I mean, it's important. Don't get me wrong. But but at the end of the day, this is just horse show. And, you know, I, you know, life goes on. There's always going to be another horse show. I wish I could go back and tell like 16 year old me this when I like two years in a row messed up in the world show finals and thought it was the end of my career. Nothing was ever going to happen right again. And now I look back and I'm just like, it was, it's just another horse show. It just happened to be, you, you got a bigger trophy. That's right. It's all perspective. Yeah. So, um, thank you. I loved this interview. I had so much fun getting to learn more about you and, and your life and your career and, and what you're doing for the industry. And I could probably go on for another hour, but I'm sure that you are busy and you want to get back to your horses because you have a full training business going on. So before we leave, can you go ahead and tell people where they can find more about your business or, or anything like that? You're on social media. Sure. For, for the most part, I'm just on Facebook, uh, CDA Performance Horses, and that's spelled C-E-D-D-I-A. Uh, but CDA Performance Horses, and that, that's how you look me up. My phone number's on there as well. But yeah, yeah, that's we're in Centerburg, Ohio, smack dab in the middle of Ohio. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. I, I truly appreciated this interview, and I'm sure our listeners loved it too. Yeah, it was so great to talk with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you guys for tuning into the Ride Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Horse and Rider Magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com. If you guys have any questions or comments, please be sure to hit us up at horseandrider at equinenetwork.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes.